From the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, and the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro on the South Strip, it's Breaking Bread with Bono. So now, let's wine and dine with Dennis and today's special guest from Celebrity Table 30. Here's Dennis Bono. Hi, I'm Dennis Bono, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Bread with Bono from Celebrity Table 30 at the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro in the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. Today's special guest, it really is quite a unique situation for me because this guy is truly, uh, I guess, larger than life because he's worn so many hats, he's done so many things, he's made such an impact on helping to create the image of Las Vegas throughout the entire world. And uh, he's done it all. He's been an attorney. He's been the mayor. He's a restaurateur. He's an iconic representative of Las Vegas. And it's thrilling because today he's going to basically tell his story. And I'm, I'm speaking of, uh, and I will call him Mayor Oscar Goodman today, but during the course of the conversation, I'll probably refer to you as Oscar. Of course, everybody calls me Oscar, and we have a real mayor now, my <laughs> wife. Your so, lovely wife. Yeah, yeah, she succeeded me. First time in American history, by the way, that, uh, you that know a what? mayor swore in a spouse to succeed him. Well, and, and she's, she carries she's the best. that torch. She's she wonderful. She's the best. She's well, wonderful. of course, you're married to uh, a beauty, too. I am. Lorraine is uh, one of my favorite people, one of the first people I met when I came to Town. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I think she was either a county commissioner or lieutenant governor. She was probably time. county commissioner. Okay, and yeah. she was always so nice. So here I was, a young lawyer, and uh, she uh, comes from a family that's long established here. Yeah. Great reputation for the restaurants, and uh, she befriended me, and uh, we've been friends ever since. And the great thing is, and here I go, I can't keep my mouth shut. That's good. Uh, when I would try my cases, most of them were outside the city of Las Vegas, and mm -hmm. I used to tell the judges that I really have to get home to my family, and uh, could you let me out a little early on Friday afternoon, and they, they were pretty good about that, and uh, Carolyn would pick me up at the airport, and we always made the same stop. On Friday night, it was always the bootlegger, the bootlegger. but it was a bootlegger Dropping over Easter. an Easter, <laughs> and they had the best pizza. Well, I better be careful with Larry Ruvo out there, but between him and the Venetian, yeah. uh, they had the best pizza of uh, uh, any place in town. It was great. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I want, I always take people from the entertainment industry, no matter what their, their, uh, their story is. I always like to start basically the beginning. You were born and raised in Philadelphia, uh, Phil South Philly, or just uh, West Philly. West Philly. You know, okay. in Philadelphia, it makes a big difference. Well, uh, I know because I got a lot of singers that friends of mine from Philly, South Philly. Right. So. West Philly didn't have any singers that I. Maybe some rappers, uh, but, no, <laughs> but no singers. That's so born I, and raised, did you come from a large family? I came from a, a, a wonderful family. I had two sisters, uh -huh. and uh, my dad was a deputy district attorney of all things. Oh, okay. Uh, particularly in view of the route that I took. Mm -hmm. My mom was a bohemian artist. Really? Yeah, worked. So the, that's where the creative side that's came That's what people from. say. Yeah. Uh, she actually uh, won the Philadelphia Professional Sculptors uh, no Award. Kidding. And uh, when you come to our home, you'll see her work all over the place. My, one of my sisters was a ballerina. Uh, wow. She danced for Balanchine. Wow. As a matter of fact, uh, they wrote a ballet for her called Clowns. And uh, she was a prima. And uh, in Time Magazine, as a 
uh, and my mother would do art. So, so you grew up with with this influence of of uh, the scholarly side with your dad a little bit, and but but the creative and uh, side of, of the arts a little bit. So that's quite a unique combination. Well, you know, it was great. My folks would uh, on Saturday. They would drive me down to the famous Philadelphia Art Museum where the statue, uh, Rocky wasn't there at that time. <laughs> Rocky showed up later on, but they dropped me off. It was like my babysitter. They probably would be charged with child neglect today. <laughs> they just let you and go. And I, I loved it because yeah. they had this great armor for collection of night uh, knights and uh, I would spend hours there, and then they picked me up at the end of the day. It didn't cost them anything, yeah. and uh, I was raised in a very cultural type environment. Yeah, that's what it and, sounds like. Yeah, it was good. I wasn't the best uh, student. In I the was going to ask, were you a good student? You know, I could have been a good student, but I wanted to be a second-string shortstop for the Phillies. So. Ah, so that was uh, that was my next question. That was my, that was my was downfall. Was your interest? Was it? I was going to say, was it in law? Was it in sports? Was it? In, and obviously, it was in girls because that's why we did some of these things. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank. Goodness, never turned down a nice yeah. lady. So you were a baseball player at school. Oh, I can't say I was anything. I, I was on all the teams. Uh -huh. I was like the last guy on every team. <laughs> uh, the coaches were scared to death to put me in for fear that I, not yeah. that they would lose, but I would get hurt. Yeah. I mean, they had to pray that I would I would uh, spend a minute or two and uh, come out safely. But uh, I love sports. Yeah. And um, followed it. Knew every batting average uh, in baseball. You're a Phillies fan? I was a Phillies fan. Uh -huh. Even today, because of Harper. Sure. Bryce Harper, a local, a Las Vegas. local product sure. back there, and I'm delighted to see he's beginning to hit. It's a little too late to uh, begin to he's, hit. He's, but he's okay, though. He just had 100 RBIs. Yeah. He's, a, he's the first Phillies uh, player, as I understand it, that's hit uh, 30 uh, homers and uh, 100 R RBIs, maybe since Del Ennis. I, I was going to say that, or Richie Ashburn, or somebody well, like that. Well, uh, Ashburn wasn't a home run hitter. Yeah. I, saw, I saw him hit 21 foul balls at one at bat at one, one at time. Bat. Yes. So you went to all the games. Went, as a uh, kid? My dad would take me to the Dodgers and the Phillies games where uh, Newcomb okay. would pitch against Robin Roberts. Mm -hmm. They were classic. Boy, events. those were those were, they were great. The best. They, were, they were the best. So Jackie Robinson steal home twice. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I love going to the games and um, more so than the Eagles. My dad was a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School. Okay. So we took taking me down to Franklin Field. We watched the Penn uh, football team, and yeah, in those days school. it was sure. a, it was a decent it was a decent team, believe it or not. Sure. Chuck Bednarik, the oh, great I remember. He was, center uh, and linebacker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the Eagles for years, the Concrete Charlie they used to call him. Yeah. Uh, he played for Penn, and then he went on to the NFL and. He was uh, he was something else. He uh, he was a great ball player. So these these were your heroes. I mean, yeah, yeah they well, were. When I was a kid, they I mean, were, I, I, they were. Mickey they were. Mantle, all that stuff. They, was, they were heroes. Know. We uh, we looked up to them. Yeah. And uh, you know they didn't embarrass the game, so no, to speak. Didn't. You no. know they were always out there. And yeah. I would see as I grew up, I would see Benerick around a couple of the bars downtown yeah. Philly, and uh, he was very very gracious and would talk and I'd tell him about some of the. The games that I saw, and he would remember. He's the one who knocked Frank Gifford out, if you'll recall. He, I do recall because I'm a Giants fan. Okay, well, I said the wrong thing then. But uh, yeah, he he was quite a ball player, and I grew up with Wilt Chamberlain. Uh -huh. Wilt was a little older sure. than myself. Yeah. But uh, we went down to a place called Cobb's Creek Park uh, every Saturday and Sunday. And had three-man basketball games. Yeah. I'm sure we. So we, you were. We've all lived the yeah. same kind of life. Yeah. And uh, the loser sat down, and the, the winner stayed out there. Wilt <laughs> stayed out the whole time. Let's I, put it that way. I used to make a joke when I say little league. I said my father was my coach, and I was actually. I wasn't. I was so bad that I was traded to another family. Oh jeez. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would have fit into that category. Well, so now you go through your, this is coming through your high school years. Uh, high school. Now, at what point uh, did you decide, did you decide, well, I got to go to college, or did you have an objective in mind or a goal at that stage of you your know, life coming out of high school? I, 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 it was expected uh -huh. in those days that you would go on to college. Okay. Uh, it depends on how smart you were or yeah. how much you could afford, but it was a given that you went to college. You either went to college or prison. Uh, well, all the guys who lived there, they either went to college or prison. That's my dad grew up in New York City. That's said the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, your parents expected you to do uh, to the succeed. right thing. To yes, succeed. To do the right thing. So at, at that stage, now, where, where did you go to college? I, I went to Haverford College, a small Quaker school. Okay. About 20 miles outside of Philadelphia. And uh, very highly rated academically. It was ranked number one in U.S. News and World Report. Okay. As the number one liberal arts men's college in the, in the country at the time and had a wonderful time. It was like the Elysian Fields. It was bucolic. You just you studied things that you'd never dream of uh, coming across in the future. Philosophy and uh, psychology and yeah, well, fine you, literature. By that stage, I mean, that sounds like... I didn't know like, what I wanted to be. I was going to say, no. that's the, that sounds like the creative side from your mom's side yeah. had a great influence. I, did, I didn't like business, uh, and my dad was very, very good at business. As I say, he went to the Wharton School, which was very tough to of get course. into in those of days. Course. And even now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But uh, they let me alone. Uh -huh. I, I think about Find the way... Find way. Yeah, really. Uh, my, my mother used to say, all we could do is uh, give you wings so you could fly. You and know, they, that's a wonderful attitude. Well, they bought me a bike, Yeah. and I, I, I biked all over Philadelphia. Well, have, it was a time when we could do that as Right, kids. I had one rich aunt, Yeah. and she had a basketball uh, a backboard and net in her backyard. Okay. And it was about five miles from where we live. We didn't live in a particularly wealthy section. And I'd get on my bike and go up there, and my buddies would meet me up there, and we'd play on our own basketball court. It was cool. Wilt was not invited to those games. <laughs> no, I would think not. No. I would think not. Well, I'm uh, visiting with uh, uh, Mayor Oscar Goodman, who I'm going to refer to as Oscar. Um, and uh, we're going to continue after these words uh, from our sponsors on this journey with uh, It is Most Colorful. Uh, the listeners have no concept of how unique your your life has been and how many how many twists and turns it has taken uh, but as I said earlier an iconic figure that represents this community uh, throughout the world uh, my special guest uh, Oscar Goodman we're going to take a short pause from Celebrity Table 30 we'll be right back after these words from Celebrity Table 30 at the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro in Las Vegas, this is Breaking Bread with Bodo. Dennis and his guest return right after this. In Las Vegas, it's the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro where celebrities and locals gather. Open 24-7. It's true Vegas, baby, since 1949. Now, let's return to Las Vegas and Celebrity Table 30 at the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro. This is Breaking Bread with Bono. Here again is Dennis and today's special guest. Hi, I'm Dennis Bono, and welcome back to Breaking Bread with Bono from Celebrity Table 30 at the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro in the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, and my special guest, uh, mayor Oscar Goodman and I, I former mayor mayor I still call him mayor but it's Oscar, Oscar I've known right. you I as Oscar I prefer it and um, 
we talked about uh, going to college, and you were. It, it sounded like you were really into the arts, uh, the creative side of college. I, I think I probably was. Uh -huh. I, you know, uh, like uh, every Jewish boy, uh -huh. uh, you started off uh, becoming a doctor. You know, my son, the doctor, <laughs> yeah. and um, that ended quickly. I, I think I got a nine out of a hundred yeah. in biochemistry. So okay. that was the end of that. So that we were going to have to make a living stand doing <laughs> something else. I can't. I wouldn't be cutting into people and seeing blood. Yeah, but. Um, I represented some clients who did, though. Yeah, I'm sure you did. We'll, we'll get to that. Allegedly. We'll, yeah, we'll get to that point. But so so now what, at what point in your college career do you decide to pursue uh, so, somewhat of a path of your dad, if your dad was a uh, it, district it, attorney? Yeah, it didn't, it didn't really work that way. Um, I wanted to go into the military. Okay. Uh, I wanted to go into the service. Uh-huh. And my dad said, you want don't do it. I said, why, Dad? He said, you develop study habits uh, in college. You go into the, uh, the Army or the Navy or whatever, you're going to lose all those study habits. And then when you want to go back to school, it's going to be so tough. And I followed his advice. I didn't know what I wanted. Had you thought about making it a military career? No. Oh, okay. No, it, it was, I guess, it uh, right around the time of Vietnam. Oh, really? And okay. uh, just, I, I was patriotic. and. Mm -hmm. um, I, I followed those kind of things, so he said, uh, don't do it now, you could always go in later. So I said, sure. But I, met, I met Carolyn, I met my wife. She was going to the sister college down the road, Bryn Mawr College. Oh, okay. And um, recorded. It was not love at first sight. <laughs> With me, I think it was, but I know with her it was not love at first sight. <laughs> it was, uh, you had to work at this. Right. So she, <laughs> she said, um, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a football coach because I coached kids when I was in college. Really? Uh, who were at a little prep school across the street. Mm -hmm. And I coached them, you know, peewee football and that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. Um, she said, no, I don't think you're going to be a very good coach. She said, well, why don't you be a lawyer like your dad? I said, it really doesn't interest me, but... Um, well, she you. had a great influence then. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you must have really... Oh, yeah. I felt you were like, smitten. Oh, over. oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> but listen to this. She's old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. She said, but before um, I can marry you, you have to ask my father for my hand. I said, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. So I went up. She lived in New York. I okay. went up to New York, and she and her mother were in another room listening in, and her father was a very prominent doctor okay. with Lenox Hill in New York uh, City. And I said, uh, I'd like to uh, ask uh, for your daughter's hand, Doc. He said, how are you going to support her? I said, uh, I'm not going to support her. She's going to support me. I'm, I'm going to oh, law school. Oh, this went over big. Okay. Uh, I said, I'm going but to law school. But at least you said, I'm going to law school. I'm, go I'm going to law school. He says, well, uh, I don't even think about marrying her because you'll never be able to keep her in the style that uh, she's accustomed. That she's accustomed. <laughs> I said uh, she thinks I will, yeah. and um, I'm going to marry her. Uh -huh. it, it became not asking for her hand, but telling him you were demanding. That's correct. And he said, "Well, if you don't, uh, and this is a great way to start off a relationship <laughs> with a future father-in-law." He says, "Well, if you don't keep her in the style to which she's accustomed, I'm going to kick your rear end from." And he didn't use that word; and uh -huh. it was an expletive. Uh -huh. Uh, from here to 76th Street, and they lived on 75th, <laughs> and the blocks were pretty long. And uh, of all things, it comes out of this mouth that can't keep itself shut. 
I said, if you're big enough. Okay. That started the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that stirs the pot a little bit there, Oscar. <laughs> it started the That's whole thing. That's not the way to get off no, on the right not. foot with in-laws. It was yeah. not. And I went on to law school, and I hated it. Could not stand law school. Uh, it was a time when most, uh, uh, well, there were very few women who went to law school in those days. I think we only had two in a class of about 150. And um, most of the fellows there wanted to be, I call them white shoe uh, uh, lawyers uh, who worked for big corporations or big law firms, okay. did contracts and that kind of thing. That didn't interest me at all. I, well, was, go yeah. I was going nuts. Yeah. So one day that I That wouldn't have been stimulating enough. Not to you. me, no. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. And I felt, you know, seriously, I, I felt wrong with having Carolyn earn our living. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I just made up my mind I'm going to get myself a job. Uh, which was unusual for somebody going to an Ivy League law school. Uh, most oh, my question, where did you go? University of Pennsylvania. Oh, you went to Penn. Right, okay. and um, most people who go there, they never, they never have a job. I mean, okay. it, it doesn't work that way. They study all the time. They're looking to get the grades, so they'll go with a big firm. And um, it didn't interest me, so I walked down to City Hall. Um, the uh, law school was at 34th and Chestnut. I went down to the equivalent of Broad, which is 14th and Chestnut, 20 blocks. Didn't know us all. Walked right up to the DA's office there, said to uh, the lady at the front desk, I still remember her name, Justine Rector, it's amazing. And I said, I'd like to talk to the DA. Well, you know, here they probably would have kicked me out, but uh, <laughs> the DA came out, Jim Crumlish. He said, what can I do for you? I said, Mr. Crumlish, I'd like a job. He said, well, why don't you talk to uh, uh, Arlen Spector? Arlen had just won the first conviction of a Teamster official mm -hmm. in the United States. Very well known in yes. the, po the political arena. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, go back and talk to Arlen, and maybe he could use you for research. It's up to, to him. And I went back and I talked to him, and he said, look, uh, he went to Yale Law School. Mm -hmm. a, a very similar Ivy League type yep. education. He says, you can't go to law school and work. It's impossible. I said, believe me, I, I can do it. He said, well, I'm going to have you work a 40-hour a week. I said, no, no problem. I'm going to pay you a dollar an hour. I said, I'll, I'll, happily, I'll take this job. <laughs> My gosh. And it was great because he was a stern taskmaster. He he made me cross every T, dot every I. Well, you had didn't, to learn a lot. Didn't let me get away with anything. You right. know, he was so smart. He was on the Warren uh, of course. Commission with of the course. Kennedy assassination. Of course. Went on to be a United States senator. And, um, a wealthy widow was killed. Her name was Lula Bell Rothman, and the fellows who killed her in Philadelphia took $300,000 from her under her mattress, came out to Las Vegas with it to launder it in the old-fashioned way at the crap tables. <laughs> they were arrested here, and um, Harry Claiborne, who was a great criminal lawyer, very well-known, best, known. best yep. of all, yep. uh, he was retained by them. He got them released on the writ habeas corpus, and they took off. They were rearrested for the murder in uh, Omaha, and uh, brought back to Philly for trial. And Ar Arlen assigned me uh, to work up their testimony for a motion to suppress. And it was a cold, dreary, rotten winter night, and the old city hall was creaking, and the wind was blowing through there. And uh, after four hours of preparation, they said, what are you doing here? I said, where else is there? Because Philadelphians were very provincial. They said, uh, Las Vegas. I said, people actually live there? You know, that's what everybody used to so say. So how old were you at this stage? About 21. Oh, you're, you're so young and you're working on it. Yeah, but you know, this I, is... I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Uh -huh. And um, 
they, uh, they said that Las Vegas is a tremendous place, great opportunities where a young person should go. So I went home that night mm -hmm. and I said to Carolyn, she's down to sleep. She was working at Sun Oil Company. I woke her up. I said, sweetheart, how would you like to go with me to the land of milk and honey? <laughs> and she says, look, I love you, but and I do anything for you, but I'm not moving to Israel. <laughs> milk and honey. <laughs> so I said, no, no, Las Vegas. She said, whatever you want. And, uh, so that she was gave you a free hand on that yeah. decision. Well, she always has given me a free hand. Yeah. See, she has a remarkable way, and I'm sure Lorraine has the same remarkable way. Making you think it's your idea? Exactly. <laughs> I've ended up in places that I swear I would never go to. I don't know how I got there. I was half sober at the time. And uh, uh, we came out, and uh, Ted Marshall was the DA. Okay. Uh, uh, and he offered me a job. And I uh, went to work uh, for the DA's office here as a clerk because I had to study for the bar. They only gave it once a year out here. Mm -hmm. I passed the bar. How many people were living in Las Vegas? What year 70, was this? 70,000, uh, 1964. 64, 70,000. My mother-in-law used to refer, she came out here, it was 8,000 people, but the growth has been obviously been incredible. Phenomenal. So, but had you fallen, by then did you realize that this was a great place to? I had no idea. I'll tell you what I did on a Saturday morning I walked uh, the downtown, okay. and in those days the lawyers, and there weren't too many of them, all had storefront offices. Mm -hmm. You would walk right off the street, no fancy tours, uh, and I, I would talk to them, and they were all at work on Saturday, and I went in and I said, if you were me, uh, being a young fellow from back east, would you stay back east or would you come out and open up an office here? Without any hesitation, they all said, you got to come to Las Vegas, which was interesting in and of itself because they either thought I couldn't compete with them or they were telling me the truth. It turned yeah. out it was the truth. Obviously. And uh, uh, right off the bat, I did well. Um, never had a bad day. Well, you know what? We're going to talk about what happened when uh -oh. he came to Las Vegas and, and the kind of impact he made on the community and uh, how how... So many people gravitated towards his abilities, uh, great communication skills, and, and a, solid, uh, a solid background. And my special guest today, uh, Oscar Goodman, and we're going to take a short pause and continue on this journey with Oscar right after these words. Don't leave us. We'll return to Las Vegas at the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro in just a moment. Hey, Lorraine, do you realize that your family is part of Las Vegas culinary history, having served Chef Mama Maria's original recipes since 1949? And do you realize that Las Vegas legends, from Howard Hughes to Frank Sinatra, fell in love with your family restaurants for over 70 years in the entertainment capital of the world? Yes, dear. Remember, I was there. And another great customer was Liberace. At that time, he was the highest paid entertainer in Las Vegas, earning $50,000 a week. Man, you guys must have made a fortune. Not really, Dennis. Our large pizza was only 90 cents. Wow. Then in 1962, while Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack were causing global excitement on the Las Vegas Strip, your family opened their second restaurant. Right. And in 1972, Elvis Presley began electrifying Las Vegas audiences and eating 
eating in our restaurant. You know, Lorraine, this is quite a town. There's nowhere like it in the world. There's only one Las Vegas. And there's only one bootlegger Italian bistro. Folks, when you're in Las Vegas, come visit us. We'll make you feel like you're part of our family. The bootlegger Italian bistro, conveniently located at 7700 Las Vegas Boulevard, South Strip. Visit our website at www.bootleggerlasvegas.com. From Celebrity Table 30 at the legendary Bootlegger Italian Bistro in Las Vegas, this is Breaking Bread with Bono. Here again is Dennis and today's special guest. Hi, I'm Dennis Bono, and welcome back to Breaking Bread with Bono and my special guest today, Oscar Goodman, former mayor of Las Vegas, and still everybody refers to him as as Mayor Oscar, who has uh, just carried the flag for this community throughout the throughout the world, and uh, he's been sharing this story uh, of his journey to Las Vegas, and now he finds himself as a 23, 24 year old kid in Las Vegas, and an attorney with all these little storefront um, lawyers, you said, who didn't feel threatened. They they felt uh, they must have seen something in you to share. Uh, their advice and and they didn't try to discourage you. No, oh, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, they were very encouraging. Mm -hmm. You know, I I didn't start off as a criminal lawyer. Uh -huh. uh, it all happened by mistake. Um, I was court appointed okay. early on by uh, John Mowbray, uh, who was uh, a uh, an excellent judge and became a good friend of mine over the years. And he appointed me to represent an African American uh, youngster mm -hmm. who was charged with <clears throat> shotgun killing. Uh, a, a young man who uh, was going to be testifying against him the morning that the killing took place in court on a drug case. Mm -hmm. And I was court appointed. I got $900 uh, as a court appointment on a capital case where the death penalty was at issue. Sure. And um, uh, I tried the case, did the best I could, uh, and the jury came. I hate I hate Fridays as a lawyer because uh, when they come back on a Friday, they want to get home. They want to go home for the weekend. Want, and they want to have a quick verdict. And yeah. I like to have juries that wanted to take their time and sure. hope for a hung jury. And um, they came back at nine o'clock on Thursday night. I get a phone call and Carolyn said, "Let me go down with you." Well, I was sitting at home. We go down to the courthouse and jury comes back. And there was this one woman. I'm not going to mention her name. I still remember it all these years later. And she was looking at me through the trial. I, I sort of had a rapport with her, mm -hmm. and she came out, and I saw a tear. Well, I knew it was all over, and the jury came back, and um, they found him guilty. Okay. Those were the days where they had a bifurcated trial. Uh, the jury had uh, uh, two sh bites at the apple on guilt or innocence, and then on the penalty. And uh, the judge was Tom O'Donnell, okay. who was a very, very uh, observant Catholic gentleman, who very religious, um, and, and a, became a wonderful friend of mine. And I knew that O'Donnell did not want to impose the death penalty, even if the jury came back with it. So I was trying to figure out a way, even uh, right afterwards, how I'm going to overcome this. But I said, before I do that, I'm going to go back and see my client, who was in the, the cell behind the, uh, the courtroom. And uh, Carolyn uh, is still waiting for me, and she hears this horrible sobbing. And I come back, and she says, boy, he's really taking this hard. I said, no, that was me. I was taking it hard. I was crying like a, like a big, big... Well, you took it to heart. I sure did take it to heart. Yeah. And I said to her to go home, and I uh, went over to uh, the law library, 
and this is late Thursday night, about midnight, and I stayed there all night long. I was trying to uh, figure out how to get um, the judge to set aside the verdict and, and sit as a 13th juror. There were some uh, obscure cases that said they had that power, uh, very rarely exercised, and um, I worked all day uh, Friday, and uh, Friday, about 6 o'clock, a guy comes into uh, the library and he says, how's your client taking it? I said, he's taking it as well as anyone would under the circumstances. Sure. He's gutty. Yeah. He has a lot of guts. Well, some genius in the stinking Review Journal uh, edit room uh, either does it intentionally or misreads the gutty and says, defense lawyer says, client guilty. Oh, no. Yes. And I went up and I saw him on Sunday morning. It was in the front page of the paper. I said, his nickname was Brown. I said, Brown, believe me. He said, I know you didn't say that. He says, but I'm glad you came up here because I want you to see somebody. I said, okay, who? He says, call out this fella. Uh, Floyd Hamlet was his name. I swear to God. And I'm not talking about cross-racial identification. I'm talking about these guys were like identical twins. Uh -huh. And the guy says to me, it was me that was carrying the gun out of the apartment. Wow. And not your client. Now, I didn't shoot him, uh -huh. but I'm the one that the, uh, uh, the guy identified. It was a 12-second identification, very, very, very fast. And uh, I said, are you willing to uh, give me a statement to that sure. effect? And he said, okay. Called down a, a stenographer. Actually took a statement of him for, uh, s Sunday morning. And went into court on Monday with a motion for new trial uh, based on newly discovered evidence. And I got real lucky because um, O'Donnell, the case lasted about nine, nine weeks. Judge O'Donnell. He became that 13th juror. Well, he, he, he looked at my client every single day. Yeah. You know, judges look at the defendant. Sure. And uh, he's visiting Lloyd Bell. I don't know whether he knew Lloyd. He was uh, um, a very prominent uh, undersheriff here. Okay. And uh, they would have lunch together. And he went up to the jail to, to meet with Lloyd. And he said, hi, Brown. He was looking at Hamlet. Ah, so. So he knew he, he, that uh, it was possible. Possible that there, that there was misidentification. a misidentification, yeah. and he granted me a new trial. Well, there you go. And uh, the state uh, appealed it, uh -huh. and in, in a three to two decision, they affirmed the judge. They said, uh, Oscar's right, he's entitled to a new trial. And then, I know this is a long story, but it was the first big case I ever had, and I learned an awful lot. I went to the DA and I said, you know, my client didn't do it. George Franklin was a DA, sort of a megalomaniac. <laughs> and sort of, he was a megalomaniac. And I said, my client didn't do it, and I'm going to make a, a proposition bet with him. Even at that time, I, I bet. <laughs> you were gambling then. I, well, I you're gonna, in the, hey, what, what better place? That's correct. I had nothing to lose either, I said. <laughs> I said, Mr. Franklin? I said, if my client passes a polygraph, will you dismiss the case against him? He was so sure that my client was going to fail. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to pick the polygrapher. Uh -huh. The guy who gives the polygraph test. I said, anyone, as long as they're legit. Uh -huh. And he picked out a fellow by the name of Leonard, Leonard Harrelson with the Keeler Institute in Chicago. I remember everybody's name. Yeah, and Harrelson uh, spent uh, six hours with him in uh, a Fremont Hotel because they had to have a, a wall that was clear, okay. and they took down all the pictures and everything. And he came out. And he said he passed the polygraph. So I went to Franklin. I said, "Okay, a bet's a bet." Yeah. He said, "I'm I'm not doing it." He said, "Your client did it, and I don't care what I said." I said, "You don't care?" Oh. Here's where I became a man. 
you got to remember, I'm like a young kid. Yeah, you're a young guy. Green. Sure. I said, Mr. Franklin, I know you're going to be the new president-elect of the National District Attorneys Association, and they're having their meeting here next week. I did my homework. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to hold a press conference, and I'm going to tell all these DAs yeah, from all over the United States that you are an effing liar. Yeah. He said, well, uh, let's reconsider this. Yeah. Well. And he, uh, I walked him out. I, I walked my client out. Well, you know what? This is basically where you, your law career really, because you, you really created a situation that had a, attorneys had to go like, oh, my gosh, yeah. this guy is really special. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, it because was of that, you developed a clientele that was, uh, how do I say? Not really. Dennis, that's not the way it happened. Yeah, but the, it, it was much cooler the way it happened. Yeah, but a lot of colorful characters know, started to come to. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about. I'm going to take a there. short pause, okay. and I'm going to. I'm going to. Oscar's going to tell that you story on how these people got there. I because sure will. He is one of the most flamboyant, one of the most colorful characters, and one of the legends in this community. And I'm speaking of the iconic Oscar Goodman. We're going to take a short pause. Be right back with Breaking Bread with Bono right after these words. We'll return to Las Vegas at the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro in just a moment. Frank Sinatra, Liberace, and Elvis Presley loved it, and so will you. It's the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro in Las Vegas. It's true Vegas, baby, since 1949. This is Breaking Bread with Bodo. Here again from Celebrity Table 30 is Dennis and his guest. Hi, I'm Dennis Bono, and welcome back to Breaking Bread with Bono and my special guest. Uh, gosh, I'm talking about a colorful uh, gentleman and, and flamboyant and all the things that make this city unique uh, is represented with the lifestyle and the intelligence and the excitement of my special guest, Oscar Goodman. Oscar, it's great to have, first of all, once again, let me say how much fun this is. To well, listen I'm, to glad you, I'm glad you asked me to come by. I'm yeah. enjoying myself, and I'll tell everybody who's listening, you got to have the Caesar salad. Well, you know, we eat and talk. I mean, this you, Caesar's is so good. Yeah, but well, what are the anchovies with it? I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am. Now, I'm it. Um, we left off, so you had this. Um, this case that, that really established, well, your, it established a lot of notoriety. My, yeah, uh, locally, yeah. Uh, and it uh, gave me a lot of confidence, too, yeah. in myself. And you're still a young guy. Very and young. And now all the other attorneys had to be, they had to... They followed it. Yeah. Yeah, they now, followed it. Now, Las Vegas was going through a stage where it was, um, you know, the casinos and, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, it's a gambling, this was a gambling town. And of course, you, you, growing up here, uh, my wife has great stories about the colorful characters that, whether they be in show business or the casino business or the hotel industry or the people uh, on the periphery of the hotel industry, a lot of colorful characters gravitated colorful. to this community. And they, and they all had nicknames. Yeah, I always said. Yes. Yeah, they le did. Isn't that funny? Lefty, wingy, hunchy. Yeah. I mean, they were all there. They were all out there. I, I always refer back to, I said, you know, before I got to Vegas as a singer, I worked clubs across the country. And there were a lot of colorful characters, especially in the Northeast and the Midwest, right. that owned these clubs because that was their background. And I used to say, uh, everybody's middle name was The. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, all my clients, uh, their first name was Reputed. <laughs> reputed. Same thing. 
same thing. That's great. But but uh, here here uh, were two young people, Carolyn and myself, and my dad sent us a great gift, mm -hmm. a wonderful gift. He sent uh, sent us twenty five dollars a month. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it was on the condition that we had to use it for entertainment, for pleasure. Okay. A meal, movie, whatever. Couldn't use it for rent. Couldn't use it for gasoline. And I would take her to the old hacienda. Yeah, oh, sure. Right? Where I guess Mandalay is there now. Yeah. And um, uh, they had a place called the Charcoal Room. Good uh -huh. food, good steak. And we'd have a little steak. Uh, it was date night. It was date night, exactly. Uh -huh. And we did it about once a month. And uh, had a good time. And, and she would take whatever was left over, as far as money was concerned, and would sit down at the blackjack table. And she was the first counter that I ever encountered. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She was sharp. She, uh, sharp as a tack. <laughs> and uh, she counted and uh, invariably would win a little, put it in her purse. And I would talk to the dealer. It was a different town in those days. Mm -hmm. The dealers would talk to you. It was oh, friendly. Sure. And sure. they didn't care. At least they didn't appear to care. It, it, was, about, it was about creating a, an entire social environment exactly. for the hotel and everything. It, yeah. And it was so with nice. The, with and, the customer, yeah. uh, One day I get a phone call from the, the dealer, and he says, Oscar, he said, uh, I'm in a little financial difficulty. I said, what can I do for you, Bob? Uh, he says, I think I have to file bankruptcy. Well, I didn't know a bankruptcy from a schmankruptcy, yeah. but I uh, had a motto where there's a fee, there's a remedy. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I learned how to do a bankruptcy. I, I wrote one out uh, by hand for him, 250 bucks, including all the costs of the whole work. He was happy, I was happy, and then it all happened. Dennis, it all happened. It's a matter of luck, mm -hmm. the luckiest guy who ever lived. You think a lot of it, I, we've always said, right being place, at the right, right place, right time. Right time, yeah. be, but you got to be ready for the opportunity. That's yeah. the whole thing. But the luck is you got to have that break. A phone call came into the pit at the Hacienda, and it was from a organized, a reputed organized reputed. crime yeah. figure. Reputed, and his middle name was The. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to know uh, who's the best criminal defense lawyer in Las Vegas because his stepbrother, who he hadn't seen in 20 years, was arrested for a dire act, was transporting a stolen vehicle across state lines. I mean, the government never loses those kind of cases. And, uh, you know, Vegas hasn't changed over the years. The pit boss cups the phone and he says, who's the best criminal lawyer in Las Vegas? And the guy who I did the bankruptcy for says, it's a good guy. It's only one guy to Oscar. call, yeah. <laughs> call Oscar. So I get a phone call. Uh-huh from a very famous uh, odds maker. Okay. Come to such and such an address. <laughs> See, they some. never were Sopranos. Oh, no, I don't, no. I don't mean, I no, mean Sopranos in the soprano. sound of their voice, not that Soprano. Not, the, not that yeah. Soprano, but... They always spoke low. Exactly. And, uh, come, they, come to the South, we're going to hire Andy you. Andy Devine's school of you, speech. You got it right. <laughs> and I say to Carolyn, here, take a ride with me, because I was scared to death. Sure. I, I had no idea what I was getting into here with a voice like that. And uh, <laughs> I, I went over to uh, 15th and St. Louis, uh -huh. a beautiful neighborhood at the time. Knock on a door, a guy comes to the door. And since that time, I find out he's a very important person in gambling circles. Mm -hmm. And he says, here's three dimes, and you better win the case. I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, okay. And I take this envelope, and I get into the car, and I said, sweetheart, drive a block. Then open the envelope. $3,100 bills. Wow. I had never seen that much money at one time in my life. Yeah, sure. And um, when he said, I better win the case, I better win the case. You better stay focused. Because <laughs> the, uh, the reputed claim came into so, town. But your research, you see, you had already had some history as far as doing the research on how to win a case because of that previous case no we question. just spoke about. No question. So, so. Uh, I, I represent this uh, kid. 
and the reputed brother comes into town, <laughs> and uh, he says, are you going to win? I didn't know how to pick a jury, Yeah. okay? I didn't know how to pick a jury in federal court. Okay. The case was tried in what is now the Mob Museum. Yeah. That was my first federal case. How ironic. Case. <laughs> How ironic. In the Kefauver room there. And uh, I try the case, and the jury goes out. Uh, Roger Foley was the judge. I don't know whether he had the privilege of ever reading I'm aware of the name. He's a wonder, he was a wonderful person. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you find some marvelous people. He would leave a court every day at noon and go over to St. Joan of Arc Church uh -huh. down there on Casino Center and pray that he does the right thing as he far makes as... Makes the right decisions. Isn't that something? And it's special. Uh, that was special. Yeah. So uh, we're walking back to my office, which was about two blocks from uh, the courthouse, and the cl client's uh, brother says to me, um, is it better if the jury takes a long time or a short time? I said, you know, uh, the longer it takes, the better off we are. I walk into my office, the phone's ringing. He <laughs> said, jury's back. Jury's back. <laughs> Oh, okay, I got good news and I got bad news. Well, I think they felt sorry for me, I swear. It was uh, St. Valentine's I Day. I think you're under, underestimating yourself. No, I think. I think so. It was 1967, St. Valentine's Day. They came back with the not guilty. On St. Valentine's Day, how That's why how I, symbolic. Right. It wasn't even from Chicago, <laughs> which is even great. So uh, it, it was remarkable, and uh, the reputed mobster brother, I was very friendly with Meyer Lansky. Okay. And Meyer Lansky gets indicted out here. Mm -hmm. um, Meyer Lansky was the head of the, he, the financial he, he genius. He was the financial genius uh, uh, behind organized, organized crime. Organized crime. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. And um, he hires me as his local counsel. Mm. And I get real lucky, a lot of luck. Um, he's ill, and I get doctor reports, and I submit them to Judge Foley. And the other uh, defendants in the case were Morris Lambert, Landsberg and Sam Cohen, who won the Fontainebleau and the Eden in Rock Miami. down in Miami, in the sure. Doville. And uh, I get Lansky severed out, tried separately. Are you uncomfortable talking about these stories? Not at all. They're okay. all dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's always safe when they're all dead. <laughs> got no problem. <laughs> I'm alive. It's a lot easier to talk about them. Oh. <laughs> no, anyway, so, go ahead. So, uh, uh, I get the Lansky severed out. Poor uh, Lansbury and Cohen, they get found guilty. And uh, the judge keeps on getting my paperwork. The government's pulling their hair out. They can't believe that oh. Lansky's going to walk they away got, from the, You got Meyer they, Lansky They, they need yeah. it. Exactly. And yeah. the judge threw the case out because of Lansky's health. Again, this has to enhance your reputation. Enhance? Amongst a uh, certain community. Well, very influential clientele, let's put it that way. <laughs> and I, I got... Uh, from that, I, I became an expert, and I'm, I'm not tattling myself on, mm -hmm. on the sh shoulder, but I, because of the nature of the cases, they all involved electronic surveillance, and I became an expert on wiretap cases. Mm -hmm. So, uh, on and what was admissible and what shouldn't Correct. be admissible? Correct. Uh, on right. December the 12th of 1970, mm -hmm. certain dates stick in your mind, 26 cities are raided. And I'm hired in 19 out of the 26 cities. My. You can imagine this. Well, because your reputation now is... The, Meyer Lansky yeah, for it's, it's good enough for Lansky. It's if it's good enough for, enough for him, yeah. And I get real lucky again. Uh-huh. And um, I win all my 19 cases because the Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell, or one of nine assistant attorney generals, like the attorney general in charge of the criminal division, the civil division, this division, that. They're the only ones who could authorize a wiretap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found out that Mitchell did not authorize it, so they threw out every one of those cases. My gosh. So from then on, it was Katie Barr the daughter. You are, you are in the 
as far as that, I, I keep using the word community. I, I, uh, you had to be in the Hall of Fame, well, as far as they were way, concerned. Put it that way, they they took good care of me. These, sure, they, these clients. I so mean, when I went to the World Series, I wasn't sitting on the second row. No, no, I'm surprised you weren't in a dugout. Well, let's put it this way: I could have been. <laughs> and uh, Tommy Lasorda was at the airport. Yeah, uh, we're, uh, he's coming through Los Angeles, and we're going to Kansas City to watch the Phillies and, and Kansas City okay. in the World Series. And uh, we traded cards, and I had my four children, and they, I said, that's Tommy Lasorda, get his autograph. And he was so nice to him, gave him an autograph. By the time we get to Kansas City, they lost the autograph, of uh -huh. course. And um, I said, Mr. Lasorda, how would you like to go to the hotel? Your hotel is right across the street from where we're staying. Be happy to, I have a limo waiting for me. The clients took good care of me. I said, uh, why don't you come with me? And he came, and he was terrific to the kids. And um, uh, the next day, we're at the ballpark. And uh, Tommy Lasorda is like a row 17. Uh -huh. And I'm with uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> uh, my, my boys and Carolyn were right behind home plate. I mean, uh, I He's could, I, like, what I, the I could yeah. You know what he did? It was the greatest move I've ever seen. He didn't know I'm looking at him. Uh -huh. He reaches in his pocket and he pulls out my legal card to see who the hell, who the is, hell did, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> and over the years, we stayed uh, we stayed in touch with each yeah, other. Another great, colorful yeah, character he's a great in, his, guy. in his industry. He's a great baseball. guy. Yeah, yeah he, he had no reputed. So, you know, and you know, it's funny because when I think about how this reputation blossomed because of the successes you had, you know, legally, you really made people understand what the difference is. You know, the, the rules of law are the rules of law. Correct. You didn't find loopholes. You found... Uh, there are no technicalities. Let's put it this that's way. That's right. If the prosecution does its job right, yeah. I have no beef with that. Yeah. Uh, if they follow the Constitution, no beef with well, that. Well, everybody felt the, obviously you, you followed the rules and you, you yeah, stuck I, by your I, It's interesting. You know, yeah, when I found a lot of that character out, in when it. I decided I was going to run for mayor, uh -huh. because... I'm not going to say my enemies, my adversaries, FBI agents who were following me and prosecutors who were trying to indict me. Um, I went to them and I said, I know you're not going to believe the ask that I'm going to make here, mm -hmm. but I'd like you to do a TV commercial for me and say and, and tell the truth. Tell them what you thought about me. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the, the commercial basically was, we don't like the guy. But he never crossed the line. Nobody more honest. Yep. Yeah. And, and I know, think that won it for me. Well, you know, the thing is now, it, it, and then you, you you represented all these colorful characters, uh, and, I mean, they've made motion pictures about them, and you've played yourself in these. Is this one category I didn't cover when I was introducing you? Actor. You know, wonderful great actor. actor. Listen, I'm couldn't, telling you. Couldn't remember a line, but I'm a great actor. I'm telling you, if Hamlet was available to him, let's We're going to take a short pause. Scorsese would not agree with that. <laughs> yeah, take a short pause with my special guest, Oscar Goodman, and we're going to talk about how all of these steps from a motion picture to a political career and, and beyond. Uh, this is uh, most enjoyable, and I know our listeners are enjoying it. From Celebrity Table 30, my special guest, Oscar Goodman, the bootlegger Italian bistro in the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. We'll return to Las Vegas at the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro in just a moment. Breaking Bread with Bono continues following these brief messages. In Las Vegas, it's the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro, where celebrities and locals gather, open 24-7. 
It's true Vegas, baby, since 1949. From the legendary bootlegger Italian bistro in Las Vegas, this is Breaking Bread with Bodo. Here again from Celebrity Table 30 is Dennis and his guest. Hi, I'm Dennis Bono, and welcome back to Breaking Bread with Bono and my very special guest, uh, Oscar Goodman, who has been uh, sharing wonderful stories and taking us on this uh, very colorful journey. And I guess colorful, I'm, I'm, I can't quite find the right adjective to cover all the bases that you have covered in your life. But we left off where you represented these uh, most unique uh, um, and, and these characters that we have all seen and read about who helped create the image of Las Vegas no in a glorious era. Yes. Um, and, and you represented these people to the point where they started making movies about these people yep. and they asked you to play yourself. Yeah, uh, Frank Rosenthal was the gentleman portrayed by Robert De Niro. De Niro in the movie in Casino. The movie Casino yeah. And Joe Pesci, of course, represented uh, the, the role of Anthony Spilatro. They were both clients of mine. Uh -huh. And then the Sharon Stone character, she was Jerry Rosenthal. Right. It was such an interesting town in those days. Uh, uh, Rosenthal and myself had children about the same age. And my wife would drive his kids to school, to school, <laughs> and his wife would pick up my kids at school. Yeah. And uh, everything was legit, and, yeah. and it was friendly. And then there, there came a time when it, it, it became a little nasty. Yeah. I didn't know about it, by the way. I didn't know that there, there were allegations that uh, one of them was seeing the other's wife and that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's it's all behind the scenes it stuff. Is, that... Exactly. So, so they asked me to play myself, mm -hmm. and I loved it, and I, I experienced something that very few people ever do, and that's to be directed by uh, uh, Martin Scorsese. And I'll tell you, he is, you know, I talked about Arlen Specter as a stern yeah. taskmaster. Scorsese was a perfectionist. Uh -huh. He took more pictures, uh, more shots of, of, of the same scene. It took me three days to do that little uh, gaming control board scene. Yeah. That's how uh, meticulous he was. And I loved the experience. It was a wonderful experience. And I'll share it with so you. So now you got an actor on your resume, but go well, ahead. Well, I played uh, myself in yeah. a couple of CSIs. <laughs> And uh, in Vegas uh -huh. with uh, Tom Selleck. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, Anne Margaret. Um, uh, it's hard work, isn't it? It's they isn't work it hard. hard work. They do work, work hard. With, they do work hard. But I'm thinking Anne Margaret. I'm going really. Oh, she's yeah. so nice. <laughs> yeah, I know she. She's is. so nice. And Sharon Stone was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, she came over to the house for dinner uh, with uh, the rest of the cast. Uh -huh. and Carolyn cooked for him. It was great uh, seeing them do the dishes together. Yeah. But she was so nice. She sent us roses and a beautiful note. And when she came into town afterwards, she would call us up and we'd have dinner together. So And De Niro and every And it season. was a successful film. Oh, it was great, a great and, film. Which had to, had to make... I loved it. Okay, my mother. Well, you saw got a lot of recognition from that too. I know, but my did, mother. Did your family go? Oh my God, my son no, is. You, in, you know. No, they would have rather said my son, the doctor. And <laughs> my my mother called up, and, and she said, "Boy, I, I saw your movie, and it's a good thing you're a lawyer." <laughs> that made me feel great, huh? Thanks, Ma. You know that kind of thing. So, so, so now you get all this recognition from the film and playing yourself. I mean, nobody else in that film could say that. No, you that, know, that's true. Um, <laughs> you have that unique uh, opportunity to do that, and so now you 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 look at this community as 
the same way my wife looks at Nevada and Las Vegas in particular, they see all the potential. Yes. They never see, they always thought it was the land of opportunity. The street of dreams can be created here. It, Obviously it was, you saw the same thing. I did, thing. and it was almost a love affair. So is that when you decided to make the move into the political arena? No, uh, it wasn't as a result of that, but I had tried every kind of case that you could try. Uh -huh. I represented Jimmy Shagra. You felt fulfilled? Yes, when okay. I, an assassination of a federal judge down uh -huh. in Texas. I represented Judge Claiborne uh -huh. before the United States Senate on an impeachment. I, I had done just about everything a lawyer could do, and I was beginning not to like myself, believe it or not, because I would go down to the office and uh, just see how much I could charge somebody. And I said I was never about that. And I, uh, one day I said to my wife and kids, I said, you know, I'd like to do something different. I've been doing this for 35 years. They said, what do you have in mind, Dad? I said, I think I'd like to run for mayor. Well, we have a very... Uh, a Democratic family with mm -hmm. a little D, mm -hmm. and um, uh, they took a vote. Mm -hmm. Carolyn abstained. But the you mean, uh, wait, he said, very uh, Democratic with a little D. With a little meaning, D. Meaning democracy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, they uh, took a vote, and they voted for it, and nothing against me, the four children. I said, why? They said, Dad, there's no way you could win. You have more baggage than the oh, Sky Cats. Oh, they shouldn't have said that. Oh, they did. You they have, shouldn't have said You have more baggage than the Sky Cats at the airport. I said, no, you're wrong. I said, I know the people in this community know what I'm about. I've never disappointed them. They know I love Las Vegas. I'm going to run and I'm going to win. And your reputation, your reputation preceded you. You, you were legit, always a yeah, straight shooter. I, I, at least I felt I was. Yeah. That's the way I, I, I acted and uh, felt that way. So uh, I didn't hire any uh, big shot um, publicity, PR, PR crap. Yeah. I, um, I would go to Costco on Saturday. And if speak uh, to him face to face. Yeah, if somebody smiled and yeah. took my hand, I said, I got their vote. Knock on the door through the neighborhoods. Exactly. Yeah. And if they, they look down, I knew uh, there's no chance they're going to vote for yeah. me. And um, it all came together on Carolyn's birthday. Uh -huh. It was March 25th, and we're out in Summerlin. Summerlin's an area, as you yeah. know, that has inveterate voters. They all vote out there, they all know what's happening. And we're knocking on doors, and I learned lessons while you go along. You never knock on a door before 10 o'clock in the morning because they're out playing tennis and cards. My wife has taught me these lessons from the same thing with county commissioner and lieutenant governor. Exactly. Go and, and, and don't I don't go after 4 because they're all drunk. Yeah. So uh, you go between 10 and, and 4, and um, I knock on the door, and a little old lady comes to the door. She says, Sam! Sam, guess who's here? <laughs> Sam says, who's here? The mafia lawyer. <laughs> she said, come on in for some milk and chocolate chip cookies. Oh, look and I knew I I was going to be the mayor. Then. You knew. That was the turn. That was point. it. When, when then this little old lady gave me milk. I had had milk since I was six months old. And you know what? You're, you had this unique personality that drew um, partisan politics from both sides. He gravitated towards you because they knew what you stood for, and they knew that it was uh, really for the benefit of the city. I like to of think Las that. Vegas. I like to think that. And so your political career had lasted with term limits here. Yeah, uh, three, four-year terms, mm -hmm. and then, um, as I said before, we made the United States history where Carolyn, because our children urged her to run. Uh, uh, the one thing that I wanted to have here that I wasn't able to do myself was to get a professional sports team. Uh -huh. I, I made some inroad with yeah. the NBA well, and the NHL. Let me just blow your horn a little bit. Um, during this tenure, um, you made the, the office of mayor more visible 
than any mayor I had ever seen other than Giuliani in New York City, okay? Uh, because he, he went in and, and turned around the city. Right. And you brought Las Vegas into, uh, your visibility brought uh, another dimension to the image of Las Vegas. And that's something to be recognized. Well, I appreciate that. Look, I had a good time doing it. Mm -hmm. I always I went every place with my two showgirls. Yep. Always had my Bombay. You know, Martini. some people have bodyguards. Okay. He's got two showgirls. You know, I always say, who's got bodyguards that look that? Yeah, but nice? I'm, a, I'm an equal opportunity employer. My wife has the uh, uh, the the men from Down Under, whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah, Thunder from Down right. Under, and you had the show. Right. right. <laughs> Only in Vegas can you do that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Matter of fact, she went out to Three, three Square, which raises uh, uh, money to buy food for uh, people who are not as fortunate as we are. Yesterday, and she she something. She opens up the proceedings by. Saying my husband wanted me to open up the proceedings and brings out a little Bombay sapphire bottle. Well, that was the other thing I was going to say. That that's part of your your image was this Bombay sapphire right. thing. I don't know how that happened. Well, but you don't walk anywhere without it publicly, without that martini glass exactly. and the two showgirls. And the martini you glass, did, a big martini glass. Oh, it is. And I know you you drink that and it's like nap time. So I know you're not drinking that. But oh, I don't know how say much, that. Well, at least. Look, I put goldfish in there to see whether they get cirrhosis. <laughs> That's how big it is. So we had how many? You had three terms. Three terms. And really colorful and successful. Yeah, it went fast. Yeah, we we talked about this journey and all these wonderful steps and this uh, this really flamboyant, wonderful character in Oscar Goodman. So flamboyant and such a unique story that they're making a Broadway show out of your life. Now, I, I know I'm a little bit premature. You are premature. But the interest has, has been, I had a dear friend, a, a mutual friend, who went to see the reading. Yes. And he said the most incredibly talented people are involved. Oh, they it's were. It's a musical. Yes. It's a musical yep. with wonderful acting, wonderful directing, yeah. wonderful songs. Yeah. And it's about your life and this journey that we've, that Oscar has been uh, generous enough to share with us, but basically that's what this Broadway show is yeah, about. We, yeah, we were back there two weeks ago and had uh, the, uh, they call it a tabletop reading. Mm -hmm. A little more than that, but it was basically a tabletop reading. And if I know how to use my computer phone, my iPhone, I would be able to play you some of the numbers, but I can't get them. I, they sent them to me. I can't get them off my phone. But uh, it, was, it, it, it was interesting because the emotions of the people in the room, many of whom knew me or know me, uh, ran high and low. I mean, one woman next to me uh, was crying and then laughing and crying and laughing. So we're going to meet again in about two weeks, and we're going to go over everything with a fine-tooth comb take another run at it, and hopefully we'll put it in shape that I would love well, to. You've well, got, you've got some experience with this. You had... Uh, I love to have the debut at the Smith Center. Yes, Myron Martin was back for the uh, reading, and he liked it. And and you've got, uh, of course, Oscar's Restaurant yeah. at uh, the Plaza, Yes, which is... Uh, it's, it's a fun place. Yeah, it's... What is it? Beef, booze, and broads. That's what I said. Beef, booze, and broads. Only Oscar could say I that. I got away with it. You know, and uh, you are you are one of the most unique, colorful characters that we have had on the show. And I well, I'll tell you great this. Great respect. Well, I have great respect for your interviewing process. Well, you are as you. good as they get. You know, this is uh, look at just keep it as colorful as you got kept to. it all these years. Got to. And that Broadway show is going to be a tremendous success because this interview just touches upon what I think this Broadway show could possibly do. A lot of it. My, and my special guest today, 
former mayor of Las Vegas. We still call him Mayor Goodman. I call him Oscar. And when you finish listening to this, you'll know him as Oscar. Yes. My special guest from Breaking Bread with Bono, Oscar Goodman. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate it. From Las Vegas at the legendary bootlegger Italian Bistro, you've been breaking bread with Bono. Please join Dennis and a special celebrity guest again next week for Breaking Bread with Bono.